This is Delangus Cast Brain Surgery Saga Part 2, aka episode number 12. Holy shit. I've not only done 10 episodes, but now this is the second one past 10. Cue the pause so you can add your own theme music right now. Alright. You can pause it. You have to hit pause. You got it. If you want to add a little theme music, just hit pause. Because that probably wasn't enough of a pause for... It was just enough of a pause so you can hit pause, alright? Alright. Alright, there there you go. Probably. Probably not. Nobody probably did that. If you did do that, let me know what your theme music was. I'm just curious. <laughs> oh shit. So Brain Surgery Saga Part 2. Oh god damn. Um It's been a while since the last episode. Um, I think it's been over a couple of weeks, I don't know, I'm not really keeping track, but, uh, didn't get it done, haven't, haven't gotten around to it, haven't felt like doing it, um, just, uh, there's multiple reasons why, why I haven't been getting this episode done, um, there's, there's a lot of reasons. One of the big reasons is I've been, uh, been not doing so great mentally all the time because it's just, that seems to be what happens during these pandemic times. Seems to be what is happening during, looks like the pandemic's getting worse again times. During these wondering what the fuck it's going to be like this winter again. Getting pissed off at people not being responsible. And just being selfish fucking pricks. And just, yeah. And making this shit go on longer than it needed to. But here we are. It's also a weird time of year for me. This is, it's early August. I I posted the first brain surgery episode uh, in late July. And then I actually had my surgery August 1st. And then, uh, and then every year since then, uh, the time from mid-July till some point in September is usually, uh, Usually some point, so yeah, yeah, I'd say it's September, it's usually over, but it, 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 it goes that far of, uh, it's, it's a strange time for me, it, it's, uh, I, I get reminded of things, um, s- certain things will send me through weird memory loops, um, just like the weather, like, like uh, last night, for example, as I was going to bed, there was just something about the weather, and then 
with the way that I felt exhausted but couldn't sleep. It reminded me of the night before I went to the hospital. And and then that, that just brings up a whole lot of not fun memories. And I, I think maybe that's part of why I haven't got around to this too is I didn't want to relive those memories at the moment. Um, the second part here will probably cover a lot of the a lot of very difficult, uh, scary like stepping into scary unknowns. It's probably the least fun part of the whole story. I don't know. To me, it, it, in a way, it's the least interesting, but. I don't know, it's it's an important part of the story and it is what it is. And I was gonna do another episode in between and then do this one and I was like, nah, I'm just I'm just gonna get the brain surgery saga series, whatever thing going. I guess I call this saga. It's a series. I guess that's what a saga is in its own own way. Um but yeah, just a lot of other shit going on in my life um, that's not been helping me keep my motivation. And then, and then I just... It's just a weird thing. I remember this time being... I remember this time being a, a very... This time four years ago, right after brain surgery, I would have been... Less than a week out of the hospital at this point, four years ago. And, uh, I was all fucked up. I couldn't walk right because of vertigo. My head been all cut open. Still had staples in my forehead and everything. The scar was fresh. Split open at one point. That was fun. And I was all fucked up, but... I was happy to be alive. I had a new perspective on things. Which I guess I'll get into that more in more detail as I go. I'm getting a little ahead of myself like I do. But it's just kind of a weird thing where I was very living in the moment for that time immediately after the surgery. There was something about that experience that made me really realize that how much of just the present moment is all that we actually have. But lately I've been having a hard time living in the moment. I guess because the moment hasn't been particularly good. It's, it's, it's kind of hard to live in the moment when the present moment isn't a good one. And then I get more down about stuff because I'm like, it could be worse. But yet, here I am, and I can't seem to help feeling this way. Feeling this way that I do. But... The more I just kind of let the emotions run their course. Which, that's fun. Uh, if you're trying to do anything at all. If you're with people, it's hard to do. So I've been spending a lot of time alone, reflecting, 
letting my feelings run their course because I realize when I do that, if I let them out, they just—it's a purge. It's it's emotional purge. It's you, like I feel emotionally constipated and then I let it go, and they're like, "Yeah, that's good. That's good. I like this. I feel better." I don't have whatever it is below the surface boiling up and bothering me anymore. It's it's just, I let it do its thing and gone. I treat it like thoughts during meditation. You just let them, just let them pass. That's what I've been doing emotionally for the most part. So, so yeah, I guess that, that, that pretty well covers most of the reasons why, or at least most of the reasons why I'll talk about it right now. There's, there's some other family stuff and things, but I'm not going to talk about that here right now. But um, just it's a weird time in my head. I've been listening to Bell Witch a lot, too. I, I connect with that band. Something about this time of year, and, and that band has such a, a very heavy and sad sound but yet it's it can be very uplifting in ways too and i suspect because it's it allows me to to work through a lot of my difficult emotions it allows me to work through a lot of the emotions i don't know what the hell they're called i don't know what they are i never had them until <laughs> before the Brain surgery. That's what the what the hell is this called? I don't know what it's called. I don't know what it is. Some very strange specific emotion that will pop up along with the other emotions. It's like oh, oh great, but uh, I just end up doing things like listening to Mirror Reaper before dawn, which is oh I love it. Listening to Mirror Reaper at dawn, like if you start listening to it, it's an hour and 20 some minutes long, if you start it before the sun is up, and if you go from the darkness into the light by the end of the album, oh, it's, it's wonderful. It's a trip. It's good. It's, uh, I, I, I recommend trying it, just giving it a deep listen. And it's a, I don't know, and then I just feel attached to that band in a lot of weird ways. I suppose I discovered them while I was living in Madison, which was an Isthmus City. They're from Seattle, which is another Isthmus City. Um, the, the cities that have a lot of similarities, especially in their music scenes and things like that. It, so there's kind of that connection. There's, uh, there's, there's a weird death emotion thing I don't that I don't know what to call that it evokes that it always makes me feel good when it brings that to the surface and just lets it out and then specifically Mirror Reaper 2 because that's an album um it was written for the uh the original drummer it was a tribute to the original drummer who had died and uh, it actually has his some of his vocals in it posthumously. And uh, 
it's a wonderful tribute to a musician, to someone who had been in the band. Um, and something about that theme of death, but it's a very, it's an uplifting, it's not morbid death. It's, it's, it's like beautiful, uplifting sort of death, if that makes sense. Because it's a tribute to this, their friend, their bandmate, you know. But yeah, I've been on the Bell Witch kick a lot. It helps when I get sent through loops and things when the, when the weather reminds me of a certain day. <laughs> or whatever. So, the last episode, I left off with uh, the Purgatory Dream, um, where I was heavily on the marijuanas, and then I meditated, and then I woke up the next morning after having this hours-long dream of, I was in this realm of nothing, and I, I figured it was purgatory and I was talking to these different beings there was all these different beings and they were all different representations of different aspects of my personality like it's like I'm a multifaceted person and here I am with these manifestations spiritual manifestations of the different facets right here. And the main one was a giant barn owl, a big, with a very booming, regal voice. With, um. It was like this owl, all knowing being. And, uh, it only answered questions that were in the form of a yes or no answer. <laughs> answer yes or no question. Oh, God. Yawning. 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 Edit out the yawn. No, fuck that. I don't want to do the edit. Just trying to keep this shit as simple as can be right now so I can I keep going. So I don't overwhelm myself. I'm only 12 episodes in, but at this point I, I feel like... Um, I feel like uh, I'm not, I'm far enough in, it's it's stupid to turn around at this point. I'm going to keep going. See where this thing ends up. See where it takes me. So, um, so left off at the purgatory dream. And the thing about the purgatory dream thing was it, it made me, uh, it put me at ease. Um... After asking all these questions of the all-knowing owl and barn owl and purgatory, it uh, um, it put me at ease. I, I didn't have a lot of the anxiety I was having over the surgery anymore. And if I remember right, a lot of details. It's funny with this whole experience how, how fuzzy some of the details are and how clear other details are. And if I remember right, this was 
just a couple days before I had to go in for the surgery. Well, technically the first surgery. I went in on the 30th of July, 31st of July. I can't, I'm drawing a blank. I can't remember if July is 30 or 31 days. Whatever. I went in the last day of July. And, um, and I, I had to get an embolization before the big surgery. So I had essentially two different surgeries in two days. Um, so before, before I went in the hospital and I just remember being put at ease by this dream, I felt okay. I knew I was going to get through it. I knew I was going to live a long life. I knew that everything was happening the way it was supposed to be. And I knew I was stepping into a huge unknown, but ultimately it, it, it was it's not going to be a bad thing. It's ultimately going to be a good thing. And it really has been in a lot of weird ways. It was a really awful experience to go through. It was a very difficult and challenging experience to go through. Um... I'm still dealing with the effects of that change this many years later. And it, it was a life-changing experience. It, it, it did things to me mentally that a psychedelic, going deep into a psychedelic trip would be. And that's, that's the best way I can really explain it. It, it, was, it, was like a, it was like a psychedelic trip without the psychedelics. That and it, it it just it lasted a prolonged period of time, it lasted years, it's still lasting, I suppose. A lot of things are are different to me now. I I feel energies off of everything. It's, it's I I have a hard time being around people lately. Because I feel the energy so strong, and everybody's so fucked up right now, and then I start picking up on, I start picking up on anxiety and anger and depression and and shit that's not even mine. But I feel it just as strong as it is my own emotions, and then and then there is my own versions of all those things too, on top of it, and it's like great, I'm already dealing with this, and then I gotta I gotta put this shit on top of it but that's one of the major changes I have a lot more empathy for people I always did have empathy but I have a lot more now I see the world different Not so much different, but it was my perspective was more or less the same, but it cleared a lot of fog. A lot of fog that I let build up. 
a lot of doubting myself and not doing the things that I needed to do. And realizing that I kept putting myself through this same cycle. And I always came out dissatisfied. So why the hell was I going through the same cycle? If I'm doing the same shit over and over, then what the hell is... what? What's the difference? And I still catch myself doing that a little bit time to time. I'm, I'm in one of those cycles now. And I've been doing a lot of reevaluation of things. I realize there's a lot of stuff that I thought I had a better grasp on that I don't. And I need to work on that. And it's a difficult thing. And one thing I've been doing a lot of lately is is trying to determine how much am I holding myself back? How much am I sabotaging myself? How much am I messing things up? And it's starting to realize that a lot. There's a lot of it. And that's an uncomfortable thing when the going going through your own head and realizing that you did a lot of a lot of stuff to yourself. Realizing that I am the cause of a lot of my problems in a lot of ways. <laughs> it's like, oh, what's holding me back? Oh, it looks like it's mainly myself. Possibly all of myself. I, I don't know. I haven't got that far yet. But something suspecting, something tells me, and I suspect that that it might be all my own head doing this to myself, my own brain, my own not keeping my mind in a good place, not taking care of it, not doing whatever. It's not a pleasant experience, and it's not easy, and that's probably why a lot of people don't do it. A lot of people aren't used to discomfort. More people need more discomfort in their lives. Because the thing about the discomfort is that when we get through the, through it, we can we can withstand more the next time. We become more resilient to it. We learn things by, about ourselves going through it, if we're going through it right. Get the better times on the other side of the things. Because challenging times always have amazing things if you get to the other side of them. And you'll appreciate it a lot more when you get there. If you had to, I guess, work for it, earn it, however you want to look at it. Gotta have balance. Striving towards balance is what we need to do. I think if I was to simplify things 
That's what I'd say. It just everything needs to get down to a balanced state. Instead of teetering like we've done since forever. <laughs> but yeah, this is... What was I talking about in the brain surgery thing? Uh, where was I telling that story? So I had the crazy, the, the owl in purgatory dream and whatnot, and it put me at ease. I had to go in the day before the big surgery to get um, this other surgery called the embolization. Um, what the embolization is, um, is basic, basically causing an embolism on purpose. Um, so they had to go in and, um, they took a scope that goes, uh, that goes, oh, I forget what that big, huge artery is, but it goes down into your leg and stuff. But they went in to that artery in my hip and then went all the way up through my heart into my neck and then, uh, put this what they called a balloon. I guess it's just a, it was like a balloon that they, they put air into. And uh, they put that into my neck. And then uh, that cut off the circulation from the area where the tumor was. And then uh, they do that because otherwise um, you'd bleed out. You bleed to death during the surgery. So you don't want that. You don't want to die when you're doing the surgery for a thing so you don't die. So, you know, that makes sense, right? So uh, I had to go in for the embolization surgery the day before the big surgery. And um, I don't remember what time I had to check in at the hospital, but I remember I had to wake up at like 3 a.m. to do it. It was super early in the morning. And... Um, I remember my alarm going off and uh, I had this weird dream. I know I wrote it down. I'll have to go back and look at it, the specific dream. Actually, I should just do an episode of uh, reading my dream journal on here. That would be interesting. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to do that, I think. Be on the lookout for that in the future sometime, whenever the hell I get that done. And, uh, I remember waking up as my alarm went off at like 3 a.m. I, I, I could barely sleep. And I, I managed to get like a, maybe a couple hour nap or something in. And, uh, I remember my alarm waking me out of this really deep sleep. And I was having, I had this dream where, or, uh, like the, at the point when I woke up, there was a car that crashed into this giant Tesla coil looking thing that's just started to just have these just like these bolts of electricity start going on it and then the people in the car get out and run off because they're freaked out because they crashed a car into a big thing zapping electricity <laughs> zapping lightning basically so yeah, I had to get up at 3 in the morning, went to the hospital, and uh remember checking in. I remember being in a really strangely good mood, I thought. 
considering what was going to happen. My parents went to the hospital with me. They were not in the good mood I was in. I was just kind of like, this shit has to be done. I have to get through it. There's no way I can prepare for any of this. So I just, the best thing I can do is go in with a decent attitude. And I should be able to come out with the decent attitude. And as long as I keep a decent attitude, I'll be able to get through whatever I'm going to need to get through. So, I remember they checked me into the hospital. Put this weird robe on that had like a ventilation thing to it. That they could they could pump in like warm air into the gown because something about the surgery needed to be done in the cold or something or whatever. So I remember getting into this weird hospital gown thing that had like this little vent to hook up a tube in the front of it and and then it, it could kind of blow up and like just blow air through and whatnot. Um... Yeah, I went and had the embolization surgery. Uh, I remember being awake for parts of it. Um, I was definitely conscious for a decent part of that. Um, and I remember going in and out of consciousness during it. Um, which was a strange experience in itself, being on an operating table going in and out of consciousness. While everybody is in their masks and everything and there's all these people around you and doing different things and everybody had their part of the surgery to do and then and then it was and then because of the surgery being this rare thing that doesn't happen a lot it was done by the the University of Wisconsin the UW hospital so there's like all these med medical students and stuff in different colored scrubs that are just pretty much there watching and it's just all these people around. It's a strange thing. And that was a short surgery, or at least short compared to the big surgery. That, that was about four hours, I believe. So, like, normal surgery time, I guess. And then uh, I don't remember a whole lot between the surgeries. Came out of that, the embolization surgery... Um, I was getting sick a lot. There was something about the anesthesia that was, uh, anesthesia, does it matter? Something about the, it doesn't matter how you pronounce it, but there's something about the anesthesia that was making me sick like it does, and, uh, that's all I really remember that, that rest of that day until I went into the, the big surgery. I, I just remember just feeling sick. From, from the anesthesia. Um, and um, then, then it was the big day. It was the day for the big surgery. Fucking shit. Oh, God damn. Okay, I didn't expect to get emotional at this part. Alright, just a second here. Let me 
let me compose myself a little bit so I can keep talking. <laughs> okay. I think this is part of why I've been putting this off. Because I knew parts of it were going to be difficult to relive while I talked about it. But I know that's what I need to do. And ultimately, though, this shit is just really therapeutic, so I need to just, I just, just, just need to, need to ride with it. Oh, but yeah, didn't expect to get all emotional there like that. Um, so. I had to go into surgery really early in the morning again. So they they come into my room and take me down to the operating rooms. I very clearly Oh shit, okay. Um Water works would be good. <laughs> uh, uh, trying to explain to what's getting to me right now. Um, oh shit! But uh. They were, they took my bed to go wheeling me down to the surgery. And I very clearly remember looking over at my parents as, as I'm going. And I believe that I'm going to make it through this whole thing. But at the same time, I know that I don't actually know that. And I remember looking at my parents and my dad just has this sort of, just kind of, you can do it, Vi. Just, all right. Time is now. Got to do your thing. You can do it. Which, that's, that's my dad. <laughs> that's very much like him. And... He, I, I get that from him. That's definitely a part that I, I get at him, from him. Um, I'll, I, I'll deal with shit. I'll do what I need to do. I'll get through shit. I'll keep a good attitude as much as I can while I'm doing the shit. And that's very much him. Um, that guy does not have any anxiety about things. He... He, uh, he gets through stuff. He does well in a state of emergency. Like, he, he does well in a lot of difficult times. He can, he can 
there's a, there's a part of his brain that, that and like, I'm like that too, like, where, where we, there's a part of our brains where we can switch on into this sort of overdrive, into this, this focus, we can, we can stay calm in the midst of chaos, in emergency situations, in difficult situations, So my dad's being my dad. And then I, uh... I remember looking over at my mom. Standing next to my dad. And she just starts crying. <laughs> she just bursts out crying. And, uh, and, uh, I remember myself feeling super calm. I very much had my dad's energy going on. I guess that's what I knew when I had to tap into to do it. And, uh, and I remember telling my mom it was going to be fine. That it was going to be okay. And she started crying more. <laughs> and I didn't really know for sure. But just. It, it was just like my, my gut feeling. My instinct was like. I'll get through this. It's just. It is what it is. And I was. I just remember as they're wheeling me away. Just being. Even in that, even in that moment, uh, being reassuring to my mom, so I don't really remember much exactly from there until they got me down to where the. Uh, I remember going down in an elevator. I think it went down. I don't think it went up. So, I remember going going down to where the the operating rooms were. And uh and they were already starting to do the anesthesia process bef as before they started rolling me out down to the 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 ORs. And, uh, and I remember they were just wheeling me down this hallway and there's just this hallway with all these different operating rooms off to the left and then off to the right was just a wall. So all the operating rooms were to one side on this hallway. And I remember they're wheeling me down the hallway and the, and the anesthesiologist um, tells me that the happy juice is gonna kick in, and I'm like, "What? What do you? What are you talking about? Happy juice? Like, what's what's that now?" And she's like, "I'm gonna give you something that is like you'll you'll feel it, kind of go down and down your one arm and back up, 
and uh, by the time it, it gets to your chest, you, you'll start feeling really good. And I'm like, okay, so they give me the shot of the thing, and sure enough, I feel this sensation go into my arm, and then it kind of goes down to my hand, and then it kind of loops back around from my hand and back up my arm, and then I can feel, like, I feel this inside of me, and I feel it just kind of go into my heart, and I'm just like, yep, yeah, I'm feeling good, happy, the happy juice is working, all right, I feel, I feel, if I could, this is great, whatever this is, I could, I'd take more of this, <laughs> you know, I, just give me some of this every so often, and life will not be so bad, <laughs> and, I, and I, I'm just being goofy, cracking jokes and shit. And the anesthesiologist, I, she, I remember she was laughing. And at one point she just goes, I think you're going to be all right. <laughs> She's like, I think you're going to do just fine. And and I'm in the middle of happy juice, feel good. And as they're wheeling me down, I could tell which operating room we were going into because I saw the students standing outside in the hallway along the wall. They were standing along the wall, like, just kind of sing like, Single file along the wall um, in front of the door that they were taking me into. And I remember they, 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 because the, I knew they were students, because all the students wore different colored scrubs. They wore these, uh, um, these real saturated blue color scrubs. Um, ah, shit, what's, what's that color called? Um, not indigo. Um, cerulean, I guess, is the shade of blue I'm thinking. They wear, like, this cerulean blue, like, this real, like, like, it's a darker blue, and it's a very saturated blue. It's not a pastel blue. It's a very, it's very blue. <laughs> um, it's, it's actually one of my favorite shades of blue. Um, and I see, I see them all in their blue scrubs. And... I decide because they're all lined up in the wall. I want to, I want to like give them a high five or some you know, something like yeah. And so as they're wheeling me past each of these people, I'm like holding my hand up like hey high five, yeah all right. Uh, they're just they're just looking. I remember I remember just seeing the confusion in their eyes. I made eye contact with a couple of them and they're like what the hell. <laughs> <laughs> And the anesthesiologist was laughing even more when I did that. They left me hanging. Those jerks. Because <laughs> at that point I knew that there, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't control anything that was going to happen. Whatever was going to happen was going to happen. And I had no control over it. So I just had to surrender... I had to just let things be how they be, let it play out the way it's supposed to go. And figure out, I might as well laugh at it. I might as well make a joke, make jokes about it. I might as well, it is what it is. And so they get me into the operating table, I remember them moving me over from the gurney onto the table, or from the bed, it wasn't a gurney, from the hospital bed onto the table.
and um, and I just remember all the there's just all these things going on. There's like the lights shining down on you. There's there's like the computer monitor things everywhere. There's just laying there, and there's all these people around me, and all doing all these different things, hooking me up to machinery and whatnot. And I remember, I remember the exact moment that I lost consciousness. Um, because I remember they they kind of they got me they're getting me ready, and they're getting going. Um, they like strap my head down or whatever, I think. I think they put my head into a thing so I wouldn't, wouldn't move or something. Or no, maybe that's, maybe that wasn't that. They definitely strapped my head down for the damn MRIs all the time. But, um, maybe they didn't for the surgery. I don't know. Like I said, certain details are super clear and certain details are really fuzzy. But I do remember the moment where they put the mask over my face, the oxygen mask thing, and um, tell me to start counting backwards. I think it was higher than 10. I don't remember. Hundred maybe? Did they tell me to count backwards from a hundred? I don't know. But I remember hearing the sounds of the operating room, seeing the sights of the operating room, feeling the operating room, because it was it was cold in there. And uh I remember as I was losing consciousness, I remember having the the specific thought of like, well, this is it. There's a possibility that this will be my last memory. There's a possibility that I don't come out of this. And I just remember being like, well, people seem to like me, so I was doing something right in life. I wasn't an asshole. People don't seem to think I'm an asshole, so. Nothing else. At least people remember me in a fond light. And that was it. Just nothing. Like the purgatory. It just... Everything went black, and then from the black it just went to nothingness. And then, uh, it ended up being a nine-hour surgery. Um, the surgeons were actually happy about that because they thought it could take up to, like, 16 hours or something. So they figured it, it would, there was a chance it could go double the time of what it did because of with the way the, uh, the, the tumor was attached to my nerves and everything. Uh, they thought I was going to have at least temporarily temporary facial paralysis on that side if not permanent 
but uh, because of the way it would, the tumor was attached to my nerves and stuff, but that didn't end up happening. So nine-hour surgery. So my parents had to sit. My, I remember my mom telling me later about how they were sitting in this waiting room, and there's a computer screen with like all the patients' names, and then it would give your status of if you're in surgery, out of surgery, whatever. And they just they had to sit there for nine hours for a full goddamn business day, and then some. They had to sit there and wait. Because there's nothing they could do. They just had to wait. While they were watching people come and go. People have two hour surgery, three hour, four hour, whatever hour surgeries. And they just said, people come in. And then whoever they were waiting for gets out of surgery and then they go. And then somebody else would come in and then they go. And they were still there. It's a long time to wait. It's a... God damn. Can't imagine that would have been. Very fun at all. Nerve-wracking as all hell. I'm sure that was. So I go under, surgery happens, and the next memory I have is this dream. As I was starting to come to, I had this strange dream where I was, I was in a beer cooler. But it wasn't a normal beer cooler. Like, I was in a beer cooler, like, when you go to the grocery store or whatever, and you can walk right into the cooler, and then you're, you're back behind, um, you're back behind where, like, they stock the beer and everything to the shelves, to the, to the parts of the cooler where you open up the door from inside the store. The, so, it was long and narrow, Long and narrow beer cooler, and, and and I'm in there. There's no beer in there, unfortunately. I guess whatever. I don't know. Dream beer? Maybe I wanted a dream beer. Like what the fuck? Dream? Put me in a goddamn beer cooler and with no fucking beer in it and shit. So I'm in the beer cooler with no beer, and 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 there's the shelves, like the the slightly slanted shelves with the little roller things on them, and there's like several rows of those on each side. And then I like and then and then I'm like in this beer cooler that's in the front window of the store. So on one half, like the beer goes to the doors, like window doors the, 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 to the outside, and then on the other side to the inside, I think. <laughs> I don't know. And I remember everything was black in the beer cooler. Everything was painted black, the floors, ceiling. Um, it was just all black, and then I remember there was, like, white neon lights running underneath each shelf. These just bright neon lights were lit up under the shelf, 
And then there was a bunch of the medical students in their scrubs, like full scrubs, faces covered up, everything. There was several of them just standing there looking at me. Uh, I'm I'm in a hospital bed in the middle of this beer cooler, so I'm just kind of laying in a hospital bed in this weird beer cooler with all these people in scrubs just kind of standing there, not talking or anything. They were they were hardly moving at all. They were just sort of, they were just standing, observing. They were they were uh, they were watching over me. They were looking over me. I guess or whatever. So. And then I come to, and then I realize I'm in the ICU, and realize that I made it through the surgery, and there was this point of groggy elation, is <laughs> the best way I can explain it. I was so f- elated and groggy all at the same time, just full of groggy elation, and uh, I was just like, hell yeah. I'm alive. Fucking did it. Cool. Still here. And I don't really remember a whole lot of that. Um, There was this one point where... Because the thing is about the surgery, where they had to get to it, it was in my neck, um, up against my brain stem. So they had to cut open this big half moon shape from above my ear all the way down most of my neck and then basically open my head up that way and uh and then as they they had to do that you kind of, they kind of rip your ear off of your ear canal basically and uh, so uh it, it, this specific surgery gives you um equilibrium issues and I knew that was going to happen. They warned me about all that, but I didn't realize how bad it was going to be. And I'm just waking up from this weird beer cooler dream with, and I'm just like, fuck yes. And I remember turning to my right, my parents are to the right, and I, I didn't even turn my head that much, but I turned my head to look at my parents just enough that it sent me into this horrible awful fucking spell of vertigo everything this the room just started in spinning and it was so intense and it, it felt like uh, like being on the tilt a whirl or something but like the tilt a whirl is out of control and you're just stuck in the thing while it spins around and around really fast because I, re- I remember it, it felt so strong that that it felt like there was actual centrifugal force pulling my head to the side. And I was leaning up against, like, I was just, like, plastered against the, the bed. And I remember everybody telling me I could, like, try to sit up and stuff. And I'm, I'm like, I can't. It's pulling me. It's pulling me into the rail of the bed. Like, I can't. I can't sit up. And they're pumping me full of all this anti-nausea medication and stuff. And it's not working. And they're a little confused by it. Because nothing's happening. And uh, I remember from fasting from the surgeries. So I was like on a two day fast at that point. So there's not much to throw up in my stomach at all. There's nothing to throw up. And... uh, and I start vomiting bile. 
and uh, which which if that's not a fun thing, it's it's the most metal thing I think I've done in my entire life. I've been in a lot of metal bands and stuff, but uh, um, I, I think vomiting bile for like an hour straight is probably the most metal thing I've done. And that's why I'm going to start a death metal band called Bile Vomit. I'm going to do it. I still haven't done it yet, but one of these days, Bile Vomit will become a thing. <laughs> um, so yeah, I only remember about 20 minutes of all that. But I, my mom told me later it lasted probably at least an hour. So, like, my brain just kind of eventually blocked it out. I'm trying to remember... I'm trying to remember the best in sequence as I can from there. So I was in the ICU for at least a couple of days and then uh they and then they took me they moved me up to the uh the neurosurgery ward where everybody there had their heads wrapped up. <laughs> Cuz I I have a I had like had just my whole head was wrapped up in bandages. My mom called it, said I looked like a mummy or something. And uh, I have pictures of that. And uh, yeah, so everybody had the the mummy wraps on their heads in the brain sur in the neurosurgery ward because everybody had surgery on their head, so everybody's head was wrapped up. And uh, get moved into into the regular hospital room then. Um, I ended up making friends with these two nurses. Because um, they were the ones that I, I had the most. Um, Cassie and Anna were their names. Um... um Because Cassie was the was the RN, and then um, Hannah was the uh, what was she? She was the uh, da -da 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 -da. NA. I guess it was nurse assistant or nurse assistant something. I don't know. They had different initials for what their things were, but they were they were the the most. I saw of any of the nurses, and uh, they they were both super cool too, and they had good senses of humor, and uh, they both understood my goofy sense of humor. At least once they got used to me, they did. <laughs> and uh, um, I never did properly get to say bye to Cassie and Anna. Because the day that I got let out of the hospital, neither of them were working that day. And I remember both of them kind of being disappointed about that, too. Like, all three of us were a little disappointed. Like, ah, we don't officially get to say bye. 
And, but uh, I did go back one time when I had one of my appointments. I did find Anna, but she was kind of busy and didn't really have time to talk or whatever. And, and Cassie wasn't there that day. Or One of them got married. Yeah, because the first time I stopped in after one of my appointments, Cassie wasn't working that day and Anna was off for a while because she had just gotten married, I guess is what it was. Um, but yeah, I liked Cassie and Anna. They were, they were good people. <laughs> and I remember Anna being really excited about the first time I pooped. Because she, she was bringing, kept bringing that up. She's like, you need a bowel movement, you gotta poop. Gotta poop, and when you do poop, don't flush it. I gotta look at it. I gotta see what color it is. I got there's different things I gotta know about it. Just so the sooner you poop, the better, sort of thing. And I remember she she was she was stoked about it. She's like, "All right, you did it." Went and took the look at it. <laughs> determined whatever she needed determined from it. I remember her telling me that her friends thinks thinks like she's crazy because she just gets excited about poop as it is for some reason <laughs> she just she's like this job has me too excited about poop all the time i get it you know i don't really like the act of taking a shit but it is it is a nice thing you know you just when you have a real good bowel movement and then you just it comes out easy and you feel nice and light like a gazelle afterwards it's just like oh i took a shit now i can go lightly jog on my toes i can prance jog around town now all that i want because i got five pounds of shit out of me and i got that's a lot that'd be a huge dump five pounds but if i got five pounds out of me like that i, I definitely would be like yeah i can i can i can go gazelle my way around like a motherfucker right now <laughs> but yeah cassie and anna they were my they were my nurse buddies um there was this uh, i remember this other nurse i remember Cassie and Anna warning me about her. They're like, I, I forgot what her name was. They're like, so-and-so is coming in. She's an old Asian lady. And she does everything exactly by the book. I'm like, oh, God. Because every time the nurses would come in, they'd kind of have to do this thing. And then they stop doing it after a little while when they realize I'm fine. Where they, where they do the whole, where they ask you certain questions. And then they do the thing with your finger and make sure you test your eyes and this and that. So they weren't really doing those so much, so strictly anymore. But until the, the this older Asian lady nurse, until she began her shift. And yeah, she she did exactly every, the thing, thing every time. She did not get my sense of humor, usually at all. <laughs> I think I confused her a lot of the time. <laughs> I confused the doctors a lot of the time, too. I remember this point. In uh, at one point where the um, where the there's two different surgeons that basically they had one had to do half of the surgery the other had to do the other half because of the location of it so a neurosurgeon did part of it and then a head and neck surgeon did the other part of it the head and neck surgeon super nice guy super comforting throughout he was the main 
one I was dealing with leading up to the surgery. He was very, uh, very, he, 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 he could talk to you in a way that wasn't, that, that kept you comfortable, that, that, I don't know, he, he was very reassuring about things, he was, um, he, he, he knew how to talk to people in a, in, in a nice way, and then the neurosurgeon was just intense, he was like this Bulgarian guy or something, I, I think, I don't know, he had some sort of northeastern European accent, and, uh, he, oh my god, that dude was intense, and he, he just, he just was very straightforward, very just didn't sugarcoat anything, just would give you all this info, told you how it is. It was super intense. And I remember this, the neurosurgeon coming in after the head and neck surgeon had talked to me after the surgery coming in my room and just just basically telling me how the surgery went. And, and I remember this dude, he seemed geeked. This guy was just so intense up until this point, and he just seemed happy. Like, the surgery went very well. Like, all these things that they thought were were going to happen didn't happen. It ended up being such a short surgery. He And he's telling me how they got the majority of the tumor off, and the stuff that they had to leave was all dead tissue, so that was probably not going to grow back. And he, he was just super happy about it. And I'm just kind of like, wow, this guy does have emotions. All right, cool. And I remember in the middle of that, and he's talking about how the, the tumor was attached to all my nerves and this and that. And how they had to leave parts of it so that they didn't damage the nerve, but it was all dead, dead tissue at that point. This and that. Um, explaining all this stuff to me, explaining about how they, how they had to take, put fat from, they took fat out of my belly and put it into my neck because of the because it's kind of protection of the nerves and ligaments and everything in in your neck there and this and that and, and uh this was after the other doctor already talked to me and I remember asking him why I had staples in my forehead I had two staples in my forehead and I had two staples in the back of my head I'm like, you're going in on the side. Like, why Why do I have, like, staples in my forehead and stuff? And I just remember, he just matter-of-factly goes, let's see your face would go back. We could put your face back on right. And I was just like, holy shit, what the fuck? And I'm like, what the hell did you do to me? And then I looked up. I looked up a video of the surgery I'd just been through in the hospital. And it was gnarly. It's basically like you peel your head open, so your ear is like on your cheek, and then uh, and then they take what uh, what looks like a medical grade Dremel tool, and then they just grind out the tumor bits by bit, and there's a lot of blood, and it it was a whole thing. So I don't know. So I I thought that was all funny. The whole put your face back on thing. I'm like, all right, I get that now. So any but anyway. I digress. So the neurosurgeon's in there, and he, <laughs> and he's just telling me all this stuff, and he's doing his percentage thing that he that he does that there's a whatever percentage that it won't grow back and blah blah. 
explaining that the, the, the dude gamma knife radiation or whatever it's called and this and that and if it does grow back and talking about how I didn't have all the nerve damage that they thought I was going to have and then at that point I'm just like it's a good thing I smoke all that marijuana and then he just kind of looks at me the doctor and he just it's like okay it doesn't really acknowledge it keeps talking about what he's talking about and I'm like no like it's it's a good thing I smoke all that marijuana I mean like copious amounts of that's cope like lots of marijuana like there was there was a there was a lot leading up to all this he's just kind of like okay and just kind of keeps talking and kind of just doesn't really acknowledge it again and I'm like, no, seriously, I, I read that the, the marijuana has properties the, that shrinks tumors and, the, <laughs> and this and that, that. There's been these studies done. And then eventually when I'm like saying, talking about all that, he's just kind of like, okay. And then it kind of gives me this look like, what you're saying is correct. And that probably did help you. <laughs> But I'm not going to say anything about it because it's still illegal here. That was the look he gave me. And then eventually he just kind of, I kept talking about all the weed I smoked and what a, what a good idea that was. And he <laughs> he just kind of like, okay, and eventually walks away. And it's just like, what the fuck? So as Bangzilla would say, I guess, thank you, marijuana. Yet again. That was one of the big marijuana, thank you, marijuana moments. But yeah, being in the hospital, that, that was a rough thing, though. I couldn't get up and walk on my own because I was dizzy. I had to do, like, physical therapy and stuff. Um... There were certain things that the physical therapist had to make sure I was able to do before they would say I was okay to be released from the hospital because of all the the dizziness, the vertigo, and everything. So, like, just to go to the bathroom or whatever, I'd have to call a nurse, we'd have to unhook the heart monitor, uh, unhook all these things. I had this, I had a tube connected to my spine. In the middle of my back, the drain cerebral fluid, um, because uh, um, um, cerebral fluid, your body produces cerebral fluid like blood. So if you had a loss loss of blood, your body will just kind of keep making more blood and kind of go into overtime a little bit to make compensate for it. Um, so I guess cerebral fluid works the same way, so I'm, my body's producing a shitload of cerebral fluid, and, uh, they had a little bag, um, well, it was, it wasn't a little bag, it was the biggest bag they had, and I was producing so much fluid that it was filling up that bag every hour, so a nurse had to come in every hour, so a lot of times I'd kind of wait if I had to go to the bathroom if I could for that, or, or wait for they'd take me out for a walk around the hallways and stuff. Because walking was super difficult for a while. And. But yeah. So. so 
it was a whole thing just to go to the bathroom. Just and then I have to wheel the bag thing and it's connect and be careful with the thing connected into my spine and shit. Oh god. I couldn't I hadn't gone outside the whole time. I'm like looking out the window. And it's just a beautiful summer day outside. It's just, I hadn't been outside. I hadn't been able to walk around on my own. I'd been stuck in a room, stuck in the same place. It was hard for me. It was difficult. But I remember in the middle of all that, I was a few days in the hospital, and I just was like, God, this is fucking awful, but it's fine. I'll get through it. And, and, I remember clearly on the day, I just remember sitting in the hospital bed, telling myself that, basically making the promise to myself that once I got out of there, I was going to live a fulfilling life. I was going to live a life that made myself happy and in turn would help spread that happiness to other people around me. I remember telling myself that there was no good reason to not live life the way I wanted to live it as long as I did it realistically. As long as I had realistic expectations, there's no reason I I couldn't do what I wanted to do and that I was the only one holding myself back from doing it. And that's part of what made the pandemic so difficult because I was doing it. I was figuring out how to live life in a way that was fulfilling for me. And then the pandemic happened and then everything went to shit really fast. And I'm still not doing most of the things I feel like I was meant to do. Ugh, there's another reason I got mad at myself lately is this is not getting the podcast done because this is this is one of the few things in my life that feels right right now. Like it feels it feels like well, this is one of the things that I need to do right now. And then it's just like, why the fuck am I not doing it? And I like doing it. I enjoy doing it. So why am I not doing one of the few things that I can enjoy right now? Like, uh, and then I get frustrated at myself because of that that day in the hospital that I remember so clearly where I just promised myself I was going to live life to a fullest, basically. And then, and then all this shit happens and nobody saw this come. Well, people did see it coming or whatever, but I, I, I didn't plan for this, you know. I, I didn't realize a global pandemic was going to fuck everything up right in the middle of me feeling like I was getting my stride to living my best life. <laughs> then people wonder why, why like, I, I take shit so hard during the pandemic. I don't know. How about you go through all the shit I've been through and then see see how you feel. It's a fucking miracle that my drinking problem hasn't gotten worse again. It's a fucking miracle that I've been able to keep that at bay. I've never tried hard drugs. I... I am getting through it, I think, pretty goddamn well compared to what most people would be doing in my situation right now. If people were in my situation who hadn't had the experiences I had, 
They probably just wouldn't have the mental strength for it. And those are the people who don't understand, the people that don't have that mental strength, the people who don't understand real hardship, real, they, they, they've never had a life-changing experience. They just... live their boring lives because they, they, I guess they think that's what they have to do. It was a hard time in the hospital, I remember. For a lot of reasons. There was one point I thought I was going to lose my goddamn mind. Um, not going outside. Not being able to move around on my own. Not being able to really get up out of that room. Not leaving that bed. Listen to a lot of music. Did a lot of meditation things when I could. But... And and on top of that, no sleep. I basically didn't sleep the entire time I was in the hospital. I was there for five days and barely slept during that time because uh, because of the god. Well, first of all, it's uncomfortable sleeping in hospital beds. It's just it's difficult and and uh, um and and no sleep on top of that. And I, I just felt like I was, I was losing it. I was going crazy. And, and uh, every time I tried to sleep, I, I couldn't. I'd try to get an hour of sleep here and there, but it just, I, I never really could get more than that because of um, every time the nurses came in to drain my little cerebral fluid IV bag thing, um, they, no matter how quiet they tried to be, how gentle with the tube and things, they, they always woke me up, it, it just, it, and I, every time, and it got to this point, the hospital was quiet, this was like two or three in the morning, somewhere like, something like that, middle of the night, wee hours early in the morning, the night morning hours, I like to call them. Well, I don't know. I don't think I've ever called them that until now, but that's what I'm going to call them now. The night, the night morning hours. And, and, and I was just like, I, I'm going to lose my shit here. I'm going to, I, I got to do something about this. So I remembered all the meditation and stuff that I did leading up to it and how much that helped me mentally, so. I decided, I knew the nurse was going to come in and drain my thing and st do the things, so I waited till the nurse came in, she came in and left, so I knew I'd have a good hour at that point of the night where nobody was really going to bother me, I wasn't going to have any visitors, I wasn't going to have any doctors come in and talk about stuff, I was, so I knew I had a good hour to myself. So as soon as the nurse left, I pull up a video. It was a guided meditation video thing on my phone. It was one that I that I liked at the time, one that I knew was working very well for me. So 
I pull that up and I start getting into it. And I remember getting into this meditative trance like very quickly. The quickest I'd ever had it happen. I was just minutes into this meditation and it just I'm like, shit, I'm already there. Cause I'm I'm just doing this because I'm not sleeping and stuff. And I'm like, I just gotta I I just gotta relax. If I can't sleep, I gotta at least just try to calm my mind down and relax so that I don't fucking lose my shit. So I get get into the the the, the meditative state really quickly. And I remember closing my eyes and I could see the entire room with my eyes closed. But everything was in teal light. So everything looked exactly the same except for the teal light. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, this is weird. I shouldn't be able to see the room with my eyes closed. So I open my eyes again. And I see the hospital room. Like normal. I'm like, okay. That was strange. And then I close my eyes again. And as I close my eyes again, I go right back into this this state of mind. And I go I go right back into it. Like instantly, as soon as I close my eyes again. And everything was in the teal light again. It was the same thing. But this time, I was in a dome. So I'm, uh, I'm in the room, just bathed in like teal light. And I'm under this dome that looks like it's made out of... Uh, like Victorian era, like, um, you see, like, it's usually like the really fancy houses and stuff from like Victorian times and whatnot, where they'd have the iron, those, those old iron fences in the yard with like the fucking spikes on the top, I suppose, so people can't climb over the fence or whatever, and, And uh, those spikes freaked me the fuck out as a kid. I'd have these weird... I always kind of had this weird vision of, like, somehow tripping and falling on one. And then it's stabbing you, like, under the chin, up through and sticking out your mouth. And then I remember seeing a thing at Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum that made me think of that. And it was like, um, oh, God. God, those things freaked me out as a kid. But it was those iron fences... And, uh, and usually they're just like the iron, the little iron posts and stuff, and they're they're not not decorated or anything. But there's, there's sometimes you see them where they're decorated with like a, um, I guess it would be like a floral or filigree type pattern, um, just molded into the the iron on the fence, and that's what this dome looked like. It was like the black, leafy, filigree, floral, kind of like iron dome. And then I was under this dome, and then I realized that there's these beings in the dome with me. And they, they're not human. Um, they're, they're, humanoid 
I guess you call it like that, like you know, one head, two arms, two legs, type of thing. Um, but they were, they were like shadows. They were they were like not physical, like they were made of light or whatever. And these ones are shadows. And I remember they they didn't really have hands or feet, like their limbs just kind of came to a kind of to a point. Um, they had large heads that were out of proportion to the rest of their body. And then they had just big round heads that were flat on top. They just had like these flat top heads. Flat top out of proportion heads. <laughs> and uh, and uh, getting a little freaked out at first once I was aware of these beings. Because they were, they were surrounding me. They were... I was still in the hospital bed, but I was under the dome, and then there's these beings, these shadow being things, and they're they're making these sounds that are kind of uh, kind of like insect sounds is the best way I could describe it. At least I think they were making the insect noises, and and, and they were they were just kind of like touching me and stuff. So, so, I'm a little freaked out for a second. But then they could tell I was freaked out, and then they were, like, telepathically communicating to me that it was going to be okay and that they were helping me and that I needed to just kind of relax and let them do their thing and everything. it was going to be fine. And they're, and they're sitting there, and I, I realize, like, and, and, and as, the, as they're touching me, these, these red orbs of light would appear in the room within the dome and then they kind of get brighter and then they would they would shoot off outside the dome and then another one would appear and the more that I relaxed and the more they let me the more these red orbs of light kept showing up and it was very it was very beautiful against the teal and they, they kept and there's these red orbs everywhere and they keep forming and they're getting brighter and then they, they kind of shoot off of the dome and get dimmer and I and I realized I'm like oh these things are they're they're helping me. They're heal they're help they're healing me. Like they really want to help me. Like they're concerned about me. They it was a very caring sort of feeling and, and they would communicate that to me and and so it just I let that happen for a while. And then just the better I felt, the brighter the orbs got, the more the more there were and, and and the beans are just the more the beans could let me heal like help me heal and stuff and i remember that going on for a while and then i kind of i come to i i just kind of slowly come out of it open my eyes i'm back in the normal hospital room the teal light the dome the beans every, the red orbs everything's gone and then realize that the meditation video wasn't playing anymore because that was like 50-some minutes, like 52, 53 minutes or something. So it was just a little under an hour. And I realized that the meditation video had been done for several minutes and that the nurse was going to be coming back in soon. And sure enough, within a few minutes, the nurse came back in. And I knew there was no way I was going to be able to explain to her <laughs> what just happened? I don't know what. I tapped into something in my mind. 
I know some of the anti-nausea drugs they were giving me and stuff. I guess some of those have mild psychedelic properties, but this was not mild. It was it was vivid. It, I tapped into something in my brain that day. It was a strange but very comforting thing. It really was. And I felt like that experience helped me to not feel like I was losing my mind anymore. Just had to let the helpers help me. Let them do their thing, I guess. These other dimension beings. Because I believe they were really there. I feel like they were probably there all along. I just was not aware of it. Until I got into that right mind, state of mind. Where I opened up enough to be able to see them in their dimension. No. I think I'm going to end this one there. I've been talking for quite a while. Um, so yeah. We'll pick up with uh, number part three. After. Hopefully it won't take as long for me to get to part three. Um. Hopefully I'm in a better headspace too. But um Yeah. So stay strong out there, everybody. Stay well. Take care of yourselves. Do what you need to do. Live your best life. Get through all the horrible times knowing that beautiful, wonderful times are ahead, can be ahead. And uh, till the next time, good luck and Godspeed. speed.